0: You may remember the scene from the movie Mary Poppins when the father, Mr. Banks, brings his children up to the bank where he works to help them open up their own accounts. They've got tuppence, which isn't very much, but here's their chance to learn uh, the value of saving and investment. Of course, the kids, they just want to feed the birds. They want to spend their money on bird seed, so there's a conflict of interest. And and Dick Van Dyke is dressed up as the old bank president. He comes in, he sings a song to the kids about how careful, faithful investment will yield long-term interest and return. But the children, they think he's just trying to steal their money. And so they start yelling. And in all the commotion, there's a run on the bank. Well, what you have in that scene, you've got two very different views of the same thing. They're both looking at the money, but with two very different value systems. The adults, they see the children as squandering their money on birdseed. How wasteful. While the kids, they see the adults as basically trying to steal their joy by hiding the money away in a safe somewhere. What's the fun in that? And see, what's interesting in all of that is the money itself is totally neutral. The coins themselves are not good or bad. The coins don't favor one decision over the other. It's just money. You know know what's interesting? When we open up the Bible, the Bible speaks profusely on the issue of money. It is all over the place. The the Bible addresses money and possessions over 2,000 times at least. It's estimated that about... 15% 15% of everything Jesus says in the Gospels relates to this subject of money, of wealth, of possessions. And one of the constant threads we find throughout the Scripture is the uh, what I would call the neutrality of money. Money itself is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's a neutral thing. The good or the bad relates to us, to how we view money. And how we value it and use it. Uh, Maybe you've heard someone say, money is the root of all evil. That's what the Bible says. Um, Well, what the scripture actually says, that's the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, he says, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Money itself is just a commodity, something to be earned or saved or spent or given away or whatever else. It's the human heart. That's where the real battle is fought. And so as we close out the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians today, we get a perspective on money that is very instructive, incredibly helpful. Uh, And more specifically, Paul's giving us insight into the meaning and value of generosity, of sacrificial giving. Why Why is Paul talking about money all of a sudden at the end of this Letter. Well, we saw last week the fact that the Philippian church had sent Paul a financial gift. It's a gift of support while he's imprisoned in Rome. They're sending money to meet his needs and to help him out. And he rejoices over this gift, even though he reminds them that his contentment is not need-based. Paul doesn't need the money. He's not after the money. That doesn't define the relationship between him and this church. His contentment is found in Christ. Nevertheless, of course, he's very grateful for it, and he wants to give them a perspective that what they've done for him is good in and of itself, but it's far greater than they even realize. And so Paul wants to invite us in today on the true value of generous, sacrificial giving. So look with me at Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Your giving of this gift is a good thing. Thank you. And then he reminds them of the past. Verse 15, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once, For my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now, here is a reflection on the incredible friendship and partnership that Paul enjoyed with this church. He's referencing what happened back in Acts chapter 16 and 17, which was probably about 10 years ago as Paul is writing this letter. When Paul first came to Philippi, he had never been there before. He had certainly never come there before to preach the gospel. But he comes to talk about Jesus. And Lydia and her family come to faith in Christ, Acts 16. And then the Philippian jailer and his household, they come to faith in Jesus. The gospel was being received. The church was being founded. Then Paul left to go to a place called Thessalonica and then Berea. Then he went down to Athens. And through all of that, the Philippian church alone sent financial help to minister to his need. Now, that is an amazing testimony of generosity and love all by itself. But look again at verse 17 as Paul reveals the thing he's most excited about in their giving, the thing that's most meaningful to him. He says, not that I seek the gift itself. I don't, I don't... I'm not looking for the money for me. But I seek for the profit or fruit which increases to your account. Now, what does that mean? Paul is saying, My concern is not in having my own needs met. My desire is for the fruit, the profit, which increases to your account. Now, it's clear that he's not talking about money right here. This is a reference to something deeper and greater. It's actually a reference to something Paul has already mentioned in the first chapter of Philippians. So this has been several weeks ago now that we looked at this, but as a refresher, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 9, as Paul prays for this church, he says this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is what Paul means when he says, I seek for the fruit which fills up your account, My prayer for you is that in the last day, and then for all eternity, you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Those two things are really the same idea. The bigger picture, Paul says, your sacrifice and generosity toward me really comes from a love for Jesus. It's not just about you and me. Jesus is the one producing this generosity and giving. It's not just that you have a special concern for me, but your love is abounding more and more because of Christ and the work of Jesus in your hearts. And so Paul says, I want you to know that God is taking account of your loving and righteous good works. God is the ultimate giver. God is the ultimate rewarder. And he is pleased to fill up your account, your eternal account, with your good fruits, with the fruits of your righteousness. Now, this is an entire sermon all by itself. (laughs) But one of the clear implications of this is that God does not just look upon our good works and smile. God is not just happy when we live righteously god actually rewards us god actually builds up into our account the fruit the goodness the reward for our good deeds now that may seem strange to us but it's not strange in the scripture in fact a big a big chunk of the sermon on the mount is is about this in matthew chapter 6 jesus commands us to live Righteously to live with a pure heart to do things in secret for God Not in public to be noticed by people and Jesus says in every case Whether you're praying or fasting or giving money if you do it for God with a pure heart Jesus says your father who sees in secret will reward you and Then Jesus makes a very famous statement. It's one. We've probably all heard He says in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This treasure in heaven that Jesus talks about is ultimately the same thing Paul is talking about when he calls it the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Those are the same thing. It's building up treasure for eternity, and God holds it in our account. God reserves it for us. Now, we should keep in mind that this fruit extends beyond the topic of financial giving. Any good work that is done out of love for Christ falls under this category. Any good work, patience, uh, forgiveness, uh, serving others, I mean, you go on down the list, holiness, every good work done in, out of love for Jesus c- constitutes the fruit of righteousness, okay? So it's not limited to this issue of generosity. But generosity is perhaps the stickiest of the issues that we come up against, um, because money tends to have such a grip on our hearts. I think that's why the Bible mentions money as often as it does. I think that's why Jesus said, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not for, for even when one has an abundance, his life never consists only of his possessions. Jesus understood the the grip that money has on us. And so I want to break down the remainder of this scripture in Philippians 4. I want to give it kind of, two main ideas. Um, First, we have the heart of generosity. Paul wants to show us the heart of a generous person. And then we have the promise of generosity, our heart and God's promise. Okay, so what is the heart of sacrificial giving? You know, the truth is um, some people give. They give to the church or they give to ministry. They give to the purposes of God because deep down we think this will put God in my debt. Uh, I am in a sense trying to buy God's favor and blessing. Now it sounds crude to say it like that, but it's a very easy temptation to fall into. I give and therefore I should get something in return. Um, But there's an opposite temptation. For those who do not give generously because there are many of us who feel like we cannot give because giving living generously would threaten our present security we have too much debt our margins are too thin we've got big expenses on the horizon we know they're coming up and so we refrain from living generously and I want you to know both of those temptations are present in my own heart they really are I've lived I've lived out both of those struggles personally. But I want you to notice, you know, Paul never gives us a number. Paul never comments on the amount that was given. In fact, that would make it too easy to formulate if Paul if Paul gave us a percentage or a dollar amount. Then, then we could easily become legalistic about that. We give it to get God off our back, or we give it in order to look good or to feel like we've accomplished something. No. What matters to Paul and what matters throughout the whole Scripture, the whole Bible, is the heart. It's the heart behind the gift. Look at verse 18. Philippians 4:18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma an acceptable sacrifice well pleasing to god now paul is actually reaching back into the old testament with his language here this is old testament language that when the people of israel made sacrifices to god from a sincere heart in true worship The smoke of that sacrifice, the smell of it, rose up to God as a fragrant aroma. Isn't that interesting language? Meaning God was pleased with it. It was fragrant to his nostrils. He enjoyed the smell of it. Not because of the thing sacrificed. Not because it smelled good. It was fragrant to God because the heart of his people was true and sincere they came to him in love and worship and therefore the sacrifice was pleasing to him and so paul makes sure that the people of philippi know my needs are met thanks to your generosity i am so thankful but far more god is well pleased with your sacrifice it smells good to him he delights in what you've done because your gift reflects a sincere and worshipful and generous heart. Your giving is an act of worship. And so, y'all, in that sense, you're not earning God's favor by giving. You are responding to God's favor. You are reflecting His grace. You are not trying to earn something you don't already have. You're responding to something. You've already been given. Okay, well, what if I don't have anything to give? Or what if I feel like I'm always living, you know, hand to mouth and I can't, I just can't do it? Well, I want to show you an amazing scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians, Paul takes a moment, he's talking to, of course, to the church in Corinth, but he talks to them about the church in Philippi and he brags on them. So Paul is bragging on the Philippians to another church. And I'm going to put this on the full screen here because I want us to look at it very closely for a moment. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, Paul is speaking specifically about Philippi here. Verse 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us, By the will of God. Look at all that Paul is saying here. The church in Philippi was greatly afflicted and deep in poverty, meaning they were suffering for their faith and they had very little to give. How easy and natural it would have been for them to turn inward, to hoard what they had, because they needed it. But out of an abundance of joy, they overflowed in the wealth of their generosity, their liberality, even beyond their own ability to give. They gave until it hurt. And we see it. Paul never asked them to do this. He never asked them for anything. But they were begging him for the favor, the opportunity to give to fellow Christians in need, That word favor means they saw it as a gift to them That they would be able to give to others It was a blessing to them to do it Not just a blessing to those who would receive it Y'all, you know, this should astound us The same way it astounded Paul People who are suffering and needy And yet joyfully begging For opportunities to be generous Now how does this happen? How did they become this way? Well, the answer is right here at the beginning and the end of the paragraph. It's a bookend. Look at the the first verse. We wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the church. The Philippians were animated by God's grace. The grace of God is what produced this in them. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. And then down in verse 5. They were so generous because they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. The Philippians were no longer living for themselves. They had given themselves to God and to God's work in the world. And so they became naturally generous. Their mindset became, well, everything we own belongs to God because we belong to God. And therefore, the giving of their money was not a loss to them. They weren't losing their security. They saw this as an opportunity for gain because it supported the work of God and the blessing of their fellow Christians. An amazing testimony. Now, remember the two temptations I mentioned a moment ago. I give because I feel like if I give, then God will favor me. God will bless me. I'll look good. I'll feel good. But in that case, if that's my heart, I am the focus of the giving, not God, not others. I am, in some sense, I'm really just giving to myself or for my own sake. Well, think about on the other side of the coin, okay? I, I don't give. I don't feel like I can give because I worry about not having enough. And y'all, we have great compassion at this point because we know that a great many people live on or below the poverty line. They live in debt. We live in situations beyond our control. All of that is some for some of us a daily reality. But again, if the focus is on me and not on God then I do not yet have the right perspective and the right heart remember we're not talking about dollar amounts or percentages here I assure you we're not those details are for this conversation those details are irrelevant we're talking about the heart and in this case the heart is not dictated by how little or how much we have to give the heart is dictated by God's work in our lives And so the heart of generosity has nothing to do with the ability to give. It has everything to do with the work of Christ in us. The joy and eagerness of the Philippian church was in spite of their poverty. They didn't let that slow them down because they had given themselves to God. God and his grace were at work in their hearts. Okay, so we've spent a lot of time looking at the heart of generosity because it's important. What about the promise? Paul speaks of our heart. He also speaks of God's promise. Well, what is it? Look at verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To these people who are so sacrificially generous, we actually have multiple promises. Remember what Paul has already said. The fruit of your righteousness is increasing to your eternal account. God is rewarding this good work of yours. And that, that reward, that fruit, will, will last forever. But Paul also assures them of this. God will supply all your needs in accordance with his riches in glory in Christ Jesus in all your present need God will provide for you he will supply you you are not going to outgive God's capacity to take care of you and meet your needs he is a good father who gives good gifts to his children you don't need to worry about that he's going to take care of you and certainly Paul has in mind, when he says this, all your needs, he means your physical, present, temporary needs. God's going to make sure that you have what you need. But this promise is bigger than just that. Verse 19, when, when Paul says all your needs, he means all. God will supply all your needs in proportion to, out of the greatness of, God's riches in Christ Jesus. What are the riches that are found in Christ Jesus? Provision? Yes, provision. Oh, but also forgiveness and grace and mercy and life and wisdom and joy and sanctification, reconciliation and peace and eternal glory. We could go on all day of the riches of Jesus Christ and what it means to know him. These are free gifts lavished upon us from a Savior who sacrificed himself for us. And God will make sure we lack none of them. And and so I hope we see at this point how the heart meets the promise. The Philippians are generous. Why? Because they have given themselves to God. Okay? What kind of God have they given themselves to? The God who is infinitely generous and full of grace. The God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And therefore we know that God will freely give all good things to those who trust him. See, a a generous savior produces generous people that's how it's meant to work a generous savior produces generous people some have much to give others have very little to give but that is irrelevant when it comes to the heart and the promise it's not about figures amounts and percentages it's about the heart that promotes a life That looks like Christ. Y'all, we we looked a moment ago at 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul brags on Philippi to the to the church in Corinth, but you know, I really left out the best part, or at least what to me is the best part, in which Paul explains deep down our understanding, our foundation for generosity. Listen to the heart and the promise, how they come together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, You know the grace of Of our Lord Jesus Christ That though he was rich Yet for your sake He became poor That you through his poverty Might become rich Jesus who possessed all power and all glory He emptied himself He went to a cross he impoverished himself by giving up his own life so that we might be made rich through his sacrifice. You know, that is the message of the gospel. And this is why the word Christian should be synonymous with the word generous. Everything about what we are, who we are, and what we believe is built upon infinite Gracious generosity God has so treated us In a a lavish way He was not obligated to do it. He didn't have to we certainly didn't deserve it and yet he poured out all the riches of his grace In Christ Jesus upon us and if we have been if we've been made rich in grace Then we are now called to be rich in grace toward others And so here's the question. In light of the riches Jesus Christ has given to you, where will you eagerly and joyfully seek to give of yourself to the mission and the people of God? Where will I? See, we never lack for opportunity. There are are opportunities abounding all the time, Everywhere we look, what we lack, what I lack potentially, is the heart. The opportunities are there. The promise is sure. The promise will not change. God will never change. What I need is the heart. The kind of heart that eagerly, joyfully, sacrificially, generously seeks this fruit of righteousness. Let's pray together that Jesus would give us such a heart. Father, what an awesome word you've given us today. A word by example that we look at the church of Philippi. And I feel confident in saying that Harvest Church, even in the midst of our own unique difficulties right now, we are more numerous num- we and have, we have greater numbers of people than Philippi. The church probably did. We have greater financial stability and, uh, and wealth overall than these people did. And Lord, we thank you for the good gifts and the grace that you've, you've bestowed upon us. Um, but Lord, remind us in this moment that what we're looking at is not a figure. That what we're looking at is, is the kind of heart that pleases you. The kind of heart that this church possessed, that even in their poverty, even in their own afflictions, when it would have been so natural for them to turn inward upon themselves, they continually looked outward to scatter seed, to water, to bless, to give. They were always thinking outwardly, not just of Paul, but of any opportunity to partner with you, Lord, in what you were doing beyond them. And so, Lord, as, as we have, certainly, we have uh, opportunity all around us. Father, what we need so desperately is the heart that we see in this scripture. And in Second Corinthians 8, the heart that we see that Jesus spoke of, that we would store up treasures in heaven, not treasures here on earth. An eternal um, fruit that is pleasing to you. And that achieves, that helps to achieve your your greater mission here in this world and beyond, um, Father. This this is I pray that for us in our hearts we'd acknowledge this is a touchy subject. None of us like to think about um, money. Uh, because it is, it's for most of us, Lord, it's tied down deep into our identity, our heart, our sense of security, our sense of success, or whatever else. Um, it's so hard to open up our fingers and be generous, or at least to be generous to the point that it's painful. Oh my goodness! Um, but Father, whatever, where wherever we find ourselves today, as we're listening, as we're praying. Father, make it continually bring it back for us to the heart. If we have been so generously loved by our Savior, Jesus Christ, um, who did not portion out his blood on the cross, but he shed it in full for us. He did not hold anything back from us. He has made us rich through his sacrifice. Then, Father, give us as of first importance in our hearts, give us a joyful and eager generosity. Even if the dollar amount is, is tiny, give us a generosity that is nonetheless true and fruitful because it is a reflection of Christ and his work in our lives. That's what we need. That's what I need. And so, Lord, as we see opportunity around us, Lord, give us hearts that, that don't think of generous living as a loss but as a gain, not as losing what, we, what belongs to us or what we need or what we have to have, but of, of living the, the life that Christ Jesus has granted to us, a life of true riches in his grace. And therefore, we get to truly be generous and gracious in our dealings with one another father lead us to be a people who are constantly at work to love and bless to build up to nurture and encourage and to supply to give lord wherever you would have us to give and make it so we pray in the power of jesus and his name amen